You're listening to the Seahawks Insiders. Wentz from the shotgun, takes the snap. Here comes the rush. Wentz gets hit by Frank Clark, and Clark slams him down. Getting you ready for Seahawks football every Sunday. First and ten, the play fake. Russell looks, going to lay it up for the end zone. Doug Baldwin reaches out, makes the catch. Is he in? He is. Touchdown, Seahawks. Powered by Seahawks.com. Welcome to the Seahawks Insiders Podcast as we get you ready for everything you need to know before the Seahawks face the 49ers in Santa Clara on Sunday. Hello, everyone. I'm Jen Mueller, sideline reporter for the Seahawks, joined, as always, by John Boyle from Seahawks.com. Hi, Jen. How are we doing today? Fantastic. I love the way the week is shaping up. Well, this week, I actually know what day of the week it is. That's a start. Right. You know, last week when you throw the extra day in, I don't know if people out there realize your entire week shifts a day, but the world does not shift with you. No, it doesn't. And people right. get confused. Very confused. Yeah. This week, even though it's a short week, we actually are on the right day of the week. Yeah, Tuesday threw me off a little. Tuesday felt like a Monday. That threw me off a right. little bit. Once we Monday to, threw me off a little bit, and now I'm once okay. Once we get to Wednesday, here, you know, we're in a normal week the rest of the way. That's right. And... By this time next week, we could be talking about the Seahawks actually being in the playoffs. How about that? How about that? I'm looking. We've got the entire season schedule in front of us, and it's got the wins and the losses next to it. Of course, everybody knows that the Seahawks have won four straight games, but I'm looking at the number of losses. And going back to the preseason, you lose all four preseason games. You lose the first couple games of the year, and it's like the sky is falling and the national media is all over this. And how good does this feel to be sitting one win away from a playoff spot? It's great. And I tell you what, like, look, when this team was four and five, the playoffs didn't look impossible, but it looked tough. You knew you had to finish strong. And players and Pete Carroll talked about, you know, they they liked that this team had found its formula and that they thought they could go on a run. And I, I believe that they were capable of a run and getting into playoff contention. But there's no way you could have convinced me we'd be talking about week 15 clinching scenarios, which speaks to both you know, how well the Seahawks are playing, but also the NFC around them is kind of falling apart. So it's it's worked out very well. Well, and I think that that goes to show that Pete's philosophy of finishing strong really isn't as simple as everybody thinks it is. No. Because it's easy it to is, talk about. It, it's hard to do. Absolutely. Sustained success over an entire year. I mean, look, you've got teams that play great in September and October when the weather's great. Then it starts to turn, and you're starting to see different teams come out. Yeah, we see it every year. There's somebody every year that starts fast and either misses the playoffs or fades and you know finishes losing a few games and gets bounced out of the playoffs so it, it it's there's a lot of factors that go into it but it's hard to finish and you know last year was kind of an exception but more often than not this team finishes well well and that's what I was going to ask why is it did last year feel like such a slog through the final weeks of November and going into December with a team that arguably understood the philosophy and the importance of finishing strong. They had a chance to get into the playoffs last year and they, they just couldn't close things out. Why was that team not able to, but this team is, you know, it's hard to pinpoint everything about it, but sometimes teams just have a hard time kind of finding that right formula. The injuries were obviously a huge factor on defense. I mean, the guys they lost, Bobby Wagner was not even close to a hundred percent for really the second half of the season, but especially that little closing stretch. So yeah, it was, you know, you don't want to entirely blame the kicker, but there were some missed kicks that could have made a difference in a couple of those games. So it was, it was a lot of factors added up and that team just didn't quite have it. And, you know, it's, we've seen it a lot. And when, when they, 
play well late in the year. They did it in 15. They're doing it in this year. It's it's fun to watch when it all just kind of comes together. I'm also wondering how much of it is guys just don't know any better. And, you know, Ken Norton said something to that effect this week when he was asked, is this game Sunday a trap game? And I thought that was a good question because as we get into this matchup, I think that this is a whole lot harder than people think it is. But he said, you know, look, these guys don't even know what a trap game is. They're just playing football because they love it. Yeah. And, I mean, Pete Carroll, he wanted a lot of what they did this offseason was to get you know, get some new guys in, get some young guys, and just sort of he's talked over and over about how this has kind of been a rejuvenating year for him. And I think he, you know, not that what he's coaching isn't going to work with everybody anyway, but I think sometimes it helps to just kind of be preaching that message to to some new young guys, and and they've really responded. Yeah, I've always said just because Pete has the same message, it doesn't mean that it's a bad message. You might need to say it to a different crowd for them to fully appreciate or to understand, but it is a good message. It's worked for him. I think he is showing the NFL that, look, I don't expect Pete to get votes for Coach of the Year. I get that it's a a political game to some degree and that there's favorites that are already out there. But it is ridiculous to me to think that he and John Schneider have not gotten the credit that they deserve for this. Although if you look at the past winners of GM of the Year, you're almost glad John hasn't got it because it's – you know, they haven't all fared so well after winning that award. So okay. Well, that's is. a way to look at it on the yeah, bright side. But no, it, it's because those awards tend to go to teams that are just terrible and turn it around. And because they did such a good job right off the bat, they were never terrible. They started off 7-9. and nine. You could make, in retrospect, 2012, absolutely Schneider should have been executive of the year. Well, for that draft class, right? Exactly. They got a, what was yeah. it, a C or a D, and then yeah, turns and out to have a whole bunch of pro bowlers on it? Probably two Hall of Famers yeah. and a bunch of really big contributors. So, yeah, it's kind of silly that they've never won it. It Just like you could say, it's kind of silly that one of the great defenses of all time never produced a defensive player of the year. Well, and yes, exactly. It's, okay, so this is what I'm going to ask, because we talk about this in terms of Bobby Wagner seemingly every week and every year. Is there a curse of being consistent? Because, look, we said it, and it sounds a little bit hollow coming from us, I think, to some degree, because we are close to the team, right? And, and we want to see the team do well. When we talk about how hard it is to get back to the playoffs and how the Seahawks did it for all those years in a row, it's hard to get back to a Super Bowl after you've been to a Super Bowl, and the team does it. It gets back to the Super Bowl again. Look, you're looking at the Vikings. You're looking at the Eagles. You're looking at teams, the Falcons. It didn't take that long for all of these teams to have some success and then fall back down. Jacksonville, right? Everybody thinks it's so easy to be successful. Is there a curse of consistency where the bar is set here and you would have to be perfect and undefeated to get anybody's attention? No, and that's the consistency, I think, both when we talk about the appreciation Bobby Wagner maybe doesn't get, but also with Pete Carroll and John Shire and those type of honors is they've never had that big dip to recover from where people are like wow what a turnaround and that's to your point though this year I mean I don't think he'll really get a lot of real consideration because they're going to find a coach who either went 14 and 2 or who took a losing well, you're going to find Sean McVay yeah. you're going to yeah but when you Andy look Reed. at you look at the turnover on this roster and the coaching cha- let's not forget the coaching changes Pete Carroll made Huge. how well that's worked out especially with what the offensive line is doing this year I don't know how you don't look at this and say this is one of the best coaching jobs being done in the NFL. Yeah, and I think also to put a little bit of that into perspective when you talk about coaching and coaching changes, going back to the Vikings game on Monday night, they didn't waste any time after that game in firing their offensive coordinator, which, you know – 
doesn't really concern the Seahawks at all. They don't have Minnesota to worry about on the schedule again. But that name, DiFilippo, the offensive coordinator who got fired, was one that everybody talked about here. He was the hot name. There are a lot of rumors that he could be a candidate here, and I know there are a lot of fans who were upset that he wasn't the guy here. And it's, you know, it might have worked out differently in a different place for him, but it just goes to show you never know kind of just based off what the guy did in his old job. Exactly. And I I don't mean, I'm not trying to make light of the fact that he was fired. This is a huge life-changing thing when that happens. But also, you know, look, just, just because you've got something new and outside the box does not mean it is better than the consistency that you can get with tried and true, running the ball, following the philosophy. I just... I hope that people, I hope that fans appreciate Brian Schottenheimer. I hope that people across the country are starting to appreciate the fact the Seahawks aren't going anywhere. You might not like talking about the Seahawks every week, but they're not going anywhere. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's remarkable what they've done this year in terms of how much it changed, and yet they just got, it's funny, all this change was, if anything, getting back to what Pete Carroll wants his team to be. It was sort of changed to throw back to what he thought they were at their best, which is, getting that running game going, being tough and nasty on defense. Look, the defense has not been perfect this year by any means, but what we saw this past week is when when it clicks for them, that felt really familiar. Yeah, and it'll be interesting going into this game against the Niners as we transition. And I think, you know, it's kind of interesting because you're facing a team you just faced a couple of weeks ago. ago. Yeah, it's weird. So not a whole lot has changed, but I do think that there are things that are top of mind that need to be addressed from the last time they played. Such as? Oh, you're, you're just leading me? You want me to just jump Well, I thought maybe you had a I, list of I things. I got nothing, Jen. I'm unprepared as always. No, mm. I'm just kidding. Well, to me, when I go back to that last game and look at what matters this game, it's so cliche to say turnovers. But we talked about going in the last game. One team had a really good turnover def- differential. One team's was terrible. And those numbers have both gone in the trended in the same direction they were going before the game. The Seahawks are now plus 11. The 49ers are minus 21, I believe. 49ers aren't a bad team talent-wise. They aren't a bad team numbers-wise in terms of yards, everything else. But they're 3-10 and 10 in large part because they turn the ball over like crazy and they can't get it away. So... That was sort of what we thought would be a big factor, and it was a huge factor. The Seahawks got turnover special teams. They got two on defense. One was a pick six. So that's you know those are that'll be a huge factor again this week. And still, you can't you can't overlook the numbers that Nick Mullins has put up as the quarterback of the Niners. And and yes, I know that these have come in losing efforts at least once against the Seahawks. They did beat the Broncos last week, and in the last two games, Nick Mullins has thrown for seven hundred and forty six yards. He is the first undrafted 49ers quarterback to put up back-to-back 300-yard games since Jeff Garcia in 2000. And I I think what's interesting, and Ken Norton talked about it this week, when you take a look at that, he really did utilize some of those big explosive plays down the field where if you'd had different coverage – or sharper technique on your tackles, you would not have Dante Pettis running for 75 yards. Last week, the Broncos wouldn't have seen Kittle run for 85 yards on one of those plays. So that's got to be a point of emphasis this week. For sure, and that's why I was so encouraged by what we saw last week. And that, to me, what jumped out more than anything, I mean, they did a great job in a lot of respects on defense. You know, they pressured Cousins well. They covered things well, but the tackling right off the bat, that was evident really early that there were a few plays where it looked like, oh, this guy's going to get space. If he makes a guy miss, it's going to be a big game, but he didn't make a guy miss. Well, there's, 
you know, guys in the line of scrimmage. I remember a play where you saw Frank Clark hurdles his blocker. Jaron Reed goes flying down the line and makes a tackle. You know, you're seeing McDougal get off blocks and tackle, make tackles on screens. Just it was a really good tackling game. I can think of one play. It was down near the goal line where there's a missed tackle that allowed a guy to get a first down. But otherwise, it was just really good tackling. And you do that against 49ers. Look, they might still move the ball some, but they're not going to pass for 400 yards if you tackle like that. Well, and for as much as we talk about the passing game, it really does come down to stopping the run game, which if you talk to the Seahawks defense after that game, that was the goal. Even though the Vikings come out with that short passing game and you think, okay, the focus has got to be stopping the pass, we see that bandit package come out you know, with the seven DBs. But still, the job was to stop the run. They did that, and I think that's important this week against Mullins because – He's passing about 25% out of those play-action looks, which means they have to have established the run. So I I do think it still starts up front. Absolutely. And a big thing with that Vikings uh, offense is that helped slow them down is when you do stop the run, you get in those third and longer situations where that's when you can bring the seven DBs and do that bandit pack. You can't put seven DBs out there on third and two because they're just right. going to audible to a run and run on your really light defense and probably get their three, four yards. So, yeah, it's, you know, it, it's cliche to say, but it will always start with a run. Until you find a team that's just going to literally pass every down, you got to play good run defense if you can't stop that. I mean, we've seen it on the other side when the Seahawks just are running the ball. It's kind of demoralizing for a defense if a team's just five, six, seven yards and they don't really have to pass. Right. And uh, going back to that bandit package, we only saw it a handful of times in the first quarter for exactly the reason that you mentioned. They did not find themselves in that third and six plus anymore. That is exactly with that package. I know that there's been a lot of talk online and among the fan base. Why didn't we see more of that? It was a question that I had. It was answered because it was dialed up for third and six or more. Yeah. So that's an that. old throwback. I don't know. It is. How many I fans remember it. that in 2010. They were, I mean, we saw it was like Roy Lewis, Lawyer Malloy, mm-hmm. Cam Chancellor. I think Lit- Marcus Trufant safeties. might have been in there. Well, he was on the field all the time I'm talking about. Like, oh, yeah. yeah, the guys coming. Like, yeah. Well, I mean, Lawyer was a star at that point. But it was really, it allowed guys like Cam and Roy Lewis to get on the field and they'd blitz. I think they had like two or three defensive backs get sacks in one game. It was it was fun. It was, you know, something different and it's kind of fun throwback. Yeah, I liked it. And I had to count. There was one point I'm counting. I'm like, wait, wait a minute. What is happening here? Oh. Well, the first one where Akeem King, I'm like, wait, yeah, 36 is hitting the quarterback. I'm like <laughs> looking at my flip card. Oh, yeah, that's Akeem King. So, yeah, it gets yeah. a little crazy on the sidelines. So people are like, really? I thought, you know, you guys were on top of it. It, it gets a little crazy on game day. Uh, here's another reason that the Seahawks need to make sure that they slow down the running game of the 49ers, which they can absolutely run. Nick Mullins, when you take a look, and these are next-gen stats, and I don't understand all of them, but I do understand this. Most of his passes are not in pressure situations, meaning he throws to the wide-open receiver in the middle of the field. He is not really going to make that contested throw. He's not going to make a throw if there's a guy in his face. And so you've got to make sure that you are taking away those options. And to me, when you read that stat, that's something that the Seahawks defense can control, right? I mean, it's not like you're facing a quarterback that has so many tricks up his sleeve that if you take that away, he's going to hit you with something else. Essentially, you know what he's good at. So it comes down to cover the way that you're supposed to cover and make the stops you're supposed to make. Exactly. And going back to the third and long situations, get get him in those obvious passing downs where you can pressure him. And that's where he's going to have to maybe make those contested throws, make a bad decision, get a turnover. So, yeah, it's – look, 
they gave 400 yards, and that's not ideal, but they did a lot of good things defensively that I think they can repeat. Well, 300 of the 414 yards that he had against the Seahawks came in the second yeah, half, right? Up, and so You're up big. You're, you're up. You're playing, playing the softer defense. Exactly. They have to throw, so they're going to air it out more. It's Yeah, it's... Look, you dominate that game in a lot of facets. You don't want to give up those big plays late, but there's a lot more positive from the defense than negative, even with the yardage. So do you look at this game as a trap game on Sunday? Yes and no. I mean, I, look, I think there's enough with the connections. You know, we talked about Archer Sherman a lot last game, but whether it's Sherman or some of the other former Seahawks, guys always get fired up to see their old friends. They, The players who have been around have really good feelings of playing in that building because they've never lost there and they've dominated a lot of games there. And more importantly, I just think Pete Carroll does a really good job of keeping things consistent week in and week out. So if, you know, th- there's a playoff berth on the line here. I just don't see how you really let down with the playoff berth on the line. But that being said, I don't think that makes it easy. Even if you're up for it and you play well, if the 49ers could take care of the ball, I think they're going to be a tough team to beat. And Matt Breida did return to practice this week for the 49ers. He was essentially a non-factor in Seattle after retweaking that ankle. They still will be without a couple of their DBs who were hurt in Seattle. So opportunities there for the Seahawks offense. But let's spend a couple of minutes and just talk about, you know, I think you and I know this because we've been around the team for so long. But why is everybody else starting to figure out that the Seahawks are not the team that you want to face in the playoffs? Because that playoff picture is starting to get a little clearer. Uh, I'd say three things jump out at me. The running game, a lot of teams, you hear guys talk about it, and it's very true. Teams don't like, especially late in the year when you're beat up and you're cold, they don't like having to tackle in the running game and take on those blocks of a physical offensive line. It's not fun, and it gets harder as the year goes on. And going back to your earlier question about finishing and last year they didn't finish, I think that was a big factor. When you can't run the ball, that's always been a big part of their late season success. So that's a big one. And then the other two to me are Pete Carroll and Russell Wilson. Experience matters a lot in the playoffs, and nobody really matters in a football game more. We hear this from Josh Schneider all the time than the head coach and the quarterback. And you've got a head coach and a quarterback who have won a ton of playoff games together and won a Super Bowl together and been to another one. So, yeah, if, especially if this defense – I mean, to me the biggest question mark the last few weeks is this team has been winning – was the defense and the yards and the big plays. If they can play a little bit more like they did against the Vikings, then this all of a sudden is a lot more complete team, and they look scary. Well, and I have said this a few different times. I'm glad that these games in December are the matchups that they are because you knew that guys like Trey Flowers and Shaquem Griffin, even though he's been in the system for a year, you knew that there were going to be some growing pains, and you can't shortcut the amount of time that you spend on the field. They needed to get almost a full season in of kind of the do's and the don'ts, I feel a lot better about them now and being tested in these ways. Look, if you wouldn't have faced Cam Newton or Aaron Rodgers earlier, this team wouldn't look the way that they do now. So I feel pretty comfortable with that. And I also feel really comfortable, especially after watching the Rams last week and saying defense wins championships and a running game wins championships. And it wins playoff games. I mean, we've seen it year after year that these teams, I'm not saying a good offense can't win the Super Bowl and they've won Super Bowls recently. But year after year, you see the hot offensive team get into the playoffs, and all of a sudden they meet a matchup that's tough for them, and the game gets bogged down. And it's more often than not, the defensive team tends to win these games. Now, that being said, a good offense with a good defense, this is why I think the Saints are rightly considered one of the favorites to win the Super Bowl. They're playing defense, and their offense is really good. That's obviously the formula you really want. 
and the Seahawks have shown they can be that team at times. So, yeah, it's but push to come to shove, I'd rather have the solid defense and the team that can run the ball than than the crazy passing game and no defense. Well, I think it all shapes up to be very favorable for the Seahawks. We don't want to look too far ahead of ourselves, but we do know that a win Sunday in Santa Clara means the Seahawks get to celebrate a playoff berth, which I'm really looking forward to. I don't want to count my chickens before they've hatched. I know that that's an old phrase, but I, I that's it makes for a fun it's plane fun, ride home, right? It's a fun plane ride home. It's fun to celebrate in the locker room, and no, there is no champagne in the locker room after that happens. That is a baseball thing. I remember Golden Tate being disappointed yeah. after the Super Bowl win because he's yeah. a baseball guy, right? There is no like, so. In case people are wondering yeah. what the celebration is like, it's cranked up music and it's yeah. guys dancing he, he around. Was like, but, where's the champagne? And yeah. I was kind of thinking the same thing. I didn't well, know because I've always watched thing. a lot of baseball growing up. Yeah, so uh, we will go in depth on what that celebration looks like next week when we come back with you on the Seahawks. Insiders podcast. Thanks for listening today.